0: 40. Championship point number two for Roger Federer, the three-time champion on the serve of John Isner. Isner serves out wide, block back, short ball. Isner scoops up the backhand and retreats to the baseline. Isner with a double-handed backhand to the single-handed cross court from Federer. Federer doesn't, can't play the forehand. He's going for the challenge. He's looking at the line, it could be all over. But he turns his back to the line. Hawkeye on championship point says the ball was out game set and championship for Roger Federer, a straight six victory over John Isner for Masters title number 28, for Miami title number four and he's done it in difficult circumstances but he's beaten the defending champion John Isner who is clearly injured towards the back end but it's all about Roger Federer now who raises his arms aloft Champion in Miami, 6164. Title number 101, number four in Miami, dropping just one set along the way. Roger Federer is the deserved champion in Miami, and you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. It's lovely to have your company once again, Gigi Salmon alongside Naomi Cavaday. Naomi, we had the pleasure to be calling that final between Roger Federer and John Isner. And it's one of those bittersweet moments. John Isner had done so well to reach that final. He was clean. He hadn't dropped a set. He looked so good. And for his tournament... To come to an end because of that foot injury in the left foot was so difficult yet on the flip side of it Federer up until that point had been absolutely flawless.
1: Such a shame that he couldn't compete fully and really give it a shot because it looked like that second set was on its way to a tie break, which is exactly what he was looking <laughs> for and if he got it to a tie break, well that was a job well done and he had a chance to take it to the third but uh, on the whole it was a flawless performance from Roger Federer. Did not put a foot wrong, caused Isner all sorts of trouble in that first set and even through that second set yes Isner was holding his serve but it was difficult it was physical there was a a lot of rallies that uh, Isner wasn't necessarily a fan of he couldn't quite get his serve going and Federer was just anticipating everything that Isner every move that Isner tried to make Federer was there the, we, we normally with the likes of Federer and Nadal these days, we're just rattling off and
0: Djokovic's numbers and you know, there's ridiculous numbers that this is the 28th Masters title from the 50th Masters final, I mentioned it's 101 career titles, but just looking at the match Federer went 20 from 20 with his first serve through the match, 12 from 15, he dropped just 3 points on serve and and like you said, it just felt like he knew exactly what was coming next, he could anticipate it and I think since that eye-opener of the first set that was dropped against Rado Elbot which was the first match for Roger Federer. He's just gone through the gears
1: and he's got better and better. He has and the the last three matches, so from the quarter-finals onwards, he has been razor sharp from the very beginning, he picked up the first set against Kevin Anderson, 6-love. The first set against Shapovalov, 6-2. And the first set against Isner, 6-1 in the final. He just <laughs> was starting lightning fast. It was a sh- All three of those players were stunned after the first set. They just didn't know what to do. They had to completely recalibrate after that first set and come up with something different. But they were just so on the back foot already that it was just difficult for them to try and survive. John Isner, in his
0: acceptance speech of the the runners-up trophy was up in the stadium said entirely too good in reference to Roger Federer about six times. (laughs) Just went, you were entirely too good in the tournament today forever. Just never retire, Roger.
1: Yeah, does he mean that never retire? Sure, sure. Hey, surely getting rid of <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think uh, I mean John Isner is right, and the, the level of respect for what Federer has achieved and and what he's physically achieved this year, coming off the win in Dubai, the final in Indian Wells, and then winning in Miami. He has had so many matches, and as I say, he is just so so sharp, and that is when he's at his best. Last year, I think we actually saw him suffer a little bit because. Because he does have a light schedule and he wasn't necessarily pushing deep to the finals every single week. So the amount of matches he was playing was, was way down. And uh, I think that he, he came out this year thinking, right, I need to play a few more events. And he's signed up for the clay court season to do that because uh, he felt like maybe it's a little patchy last year. But <laughs> he doesn't really need to now. I'm sure he will. He says he will. But he doesn't need <laughs> matches is what I'm saying. He is already playing some of the best tennis we've seen from him in ages. Well, he's played 20 matches through 2019 this was his fourth
0: tournament he's 18 and 2 those two defeats round of 16 to Stefano Sipas and he got that revenge in the final in Dubai and the other defeat to Dominic Thiem in the final of Indian Wells. so uh, happy 20th anniversary to Roger Federer who made his debut back in 1999 we should say though a few words on John Isner because no one was talking about the defending champion coming into this tournament and he hasn't had the worst of years I mean he started off quite slowly Auckland into Australia but then three semi-finals: New York Delray Beach Acapulco round of 16 in Indian Wells after a couple of good matches there leading up to that defeat by Karen Hashinov until he bumped into Roger Federer and then the foot caused him problems. He hadn't dropped a set. He had been moving through 11 consecutive Miami wins coming into this final. It's phenomenal.
1: I mean, he's just built so nicely through the year, really just been gathering speed, gathering belief and positivity in his game. He's been serving phenomenally well. Nine Tie breaks, nine tie break wins in Miami. And the other set that wasn't a tie break, the 10th one, he won at 7-5. So <laughs> did all right to get away with that one. That must have felt like a breeze. But, I mean, that is a, a mental achievement on, on such a high level, playing at this standard in this sort of tournament to feel so comfortable in that position is just uh, extraordinary. And I, I can't believe, honestly, I can't believe that he's got back into the final after winning last year because it just seemed kind of unlikely. Even he said at the beginning of the tournament, it's very unlikely that I'm going to defend my title. Okay, he didn't end up defending the title, but then once he got into the final, he thought, oh, hang on, I might now. It seems it seems very far away at the beginning of tournaments. It's six matches to to win the tournament. I mean, he, he gets a bye through the first round, so it's six matches for the seeds. And you know, that's a lot of matches against world-class opponents. And just each round, he just got better and better and better. And uh, in the end, he came up against a perfect Roger Federer. And I, I don't think very many people could, would be able to compete with that 106 aces for the tournament John is a 9 in this final and I think also
0: credit to him for seeing this match out because he was in an awful lot of pain with that Lufford he actually said to the trainer who came out I think I might have broken it so he got up there maybe he thought yeah look I can I can bang down four so if I can hold so I can get to a tie rate maybe the painkillers that he was given might kick in but I think credit to him it's a it's a final it's it's a big stage
1: he was in an awful lot of pain but he just stayed out there. He, he was, and, and he didn't want to stop. It's the final, right? It's the worst way, the worst possible way to, to go out. And it is really frustrating, and we just hope that it's nothing serious. We hope it's not broken, because that would... Definitely impact his clay court season, and he can play really well on the clay. That serve works on anything; doesn't matter what surface you're play on, <laughs> playing on. It's unreturnable a lot of the time, uh, and that was actually something that Federer did so well in the final was just he kept returning the serve, and particularly chopping that backhand slice down cross court to the backhand of Isner was incredibly effective. Um, but uh, yeah, for Isner, as long as the injury is okay and it's manageable, just after a week or two's rest, and he can get back out there and be looking good, I think he, he will be. He's playing like a top. Top 10 player he is a top 10 player and I, I very much anticipate him staying there
0: now, I don't want to call them the oldies sort of just have but I'm not sure seniors is much better <laughs> 33 years of age John is 37 years of age Roger Federer they were in the final but a word to the next generation they are
1: not only coming the next generation are starting to arrive they're bludgeoning their way through aren't they it's <laughs> fabulous we we we're so excited we just can't wait and we of course Felix Auger-Aliassime showing uh, us well just exactly what teenagers can do really getting all the <laughs> way through to the semi-finals it was uh, a phenomenal effort and do you know what he had chances against John Isner he broke him he was serving for it both of those sets so uh, you know the nerves got to him i think he he understands that his serve let him down but uh, Boy, it was so exciting! And then you had another Canadian. When, when did this happen in Canada? We had Denis Shapovalov in the other semi-final. <laughs> extraordinary! And we've got Milos Raonic back. And Canadians are just sitting very smug at the moment. And Shapovalov reaching his third Masters semi-final, which is an extraordinary achievement for somebody of his age. against a teenager. And uh, we also had Francis Tiafoe really making inroads. We've been kind of waiting for Tiafoe to just burst through, maybe for like the last 12 months so it's not yeah. been a long time we haven't been waiting for years and years for it but we knew it was coming and we got to see it on on display in this tournament oh yeah it, it, it's great I think look we did have Isner and Federer in the final but I think they are well aware that the next generation is coming and uh, they'll be concerned yeah Francis Tiafoe it was that quarterfinal in Australia wasn't it it felt that. Like- that breakthrough for him
0: and he moved on to this next step and Stefano Sitzbos I feel we're not talking about him anymore because he's a top 10 player but he's still really young runner up in the doubles the Bryan Brothers with Wesley Kulhoff and he said I'm, I'm committed now to playing with Wesley for the, for the Masters run this year which is fantastic and they picked up some big scalps in the doubles he's still focusing on the singles and Borna Church I always think he's about 35 because I just feel I've been talking about Borna Church for so long but he is still one of the young guys and And Daniel Medvedev, being one of the most consistent players on tour this year. And you feel that Karen Hashinov had a bit of illness this year. He's getting back that form. It's just sort of youngster after youngster, all these names of players who believe, they actually believe now that they can get on court with these guys and they can win these tournaments. They've seen Hashinov picking up the title in Paris. They've seen big wins. And Félix Auger-Eliazim had the final in Rio this year, his first final. So they're starting to get to the latter stages. They're starting to believe, and it feels like it's sort of it's bringing along a number of the other young players who are saying, okay, then th- th- this is possible we still might have the Federer's and Djokovic's and Nadals, but it's possible we can we can muscle in a bit.
1: Yeah, and the couple of players that if you just nudge up a a couple of years in age, they're getting a big boost along as well. You think about Nick Kyrgios and Kyle Edmund. Kyle Edmund getting really back on track, playing some brilliant stuff close to the top ten. I mean... I've heard a lot of people predict that Nick Kiyos is going to finish in the top 10 after his sensational run in Acapulco, where he just beat top player after top player. and It almost felt like it was a bit harsh. He only ended up with 500 points for all the wins he's strung together. Uh, but they are doing incredibly well as well. So uh, it's very crowded it's crowded in the top 10. It's really crowded between 10 and 20. And as I say, you have Kyrios outside 20, Auger Aliassim outside 20, Kyle Edmund outside 20. Uh, so they're knocking on the door as well. Who, is gonna, who are the players going to be that are going to drop outside of that 20? Who's going to drop out of the top 10? Because they have to make room. If these young guys are going to burst their way in, I mean, who are they going to elbow out? Can I put you on the spot now? You're going to ask me Who? you
0: <laughs> your eight for London now you might be able to remember because ATP ten's ready we've got our time capsule that we open in London and one of the questions has been the last couple of years who are going to be the eight that take to the stage and the ATP have been asking people I think Mark Petchy I, I listened to what he was doing he had Nick Kyrgios making the eight and being part of that eight so who can you remember or maybe it's changed since Melbourne when we filed away these pieces of paper who would be your
1: your eight in London, from what you've seen um, well I I think uh, what I picked and what would stay the same would be Novak, Fed, Nadal. Uh, Of course, Zverev. And I think I had team in there. I put in Daniel Medvedev. Did you? I did, yes. Um, I think I predicted... uh, uh, oh, a couple Got of others more, not in more. there. Oh, I can't remember. Can I de- remember? didn't pick this. Or can you remember? Corey? But you're
0: suddenly changing your mind, and so you're pretending you can't
1: remember. No, I'm not. I I hope I put in Milos Raonic. You hope? I hope okay, I did. But if you uh, didn't, you would. I know who I put in. Uh, Del oh. Potro. So okay. know, he mark could come the storming name, back because he is very good at, at turning up after being off with an injury for a while and uh, doing some big things. So looking maybe towards the U.S. Open Series for him if he were to come so back, so your only
0: well next Jenner although he's a little bit out of that yeah. now is medvedev yes. you only sort of new so you don't think there's going to be a nick kyrgios in that top eight and no. that's going to be the consistency
1: there for him i think the only one that you could probably look at would be a, maybe a sitzer my might so why make is, it why is, he knows he's in the top 10 at the moment well, what's happened to stefanos well because Does i thought del Potro was going bit? to be back by now I didn't realise that the knee was as bad as it is but there's there's still plenty of time because we know Del Potro is capable of winning huge titles so he only needs half a season to get into the top eight (laughs) I like that that positive thinking but it it is interesting the ATP have just
0: been asking a lot of people to predict their eight for London I do want to spend a couple of minutes on, on the Bryan brothers we can talk about them Do you feel the Bryan brothers are going to be in London at the end of the year? Yes. 100%. they are not already there yet. (laughs) They're doing so well. They're back together. There's been so much talk with Bob and the hip in relation to Bob and his hip and in relation to Andy Murray and and his hip and people looking at this so closely. Has a hip ever been examined and looked at so closely than Bob Bryan's hip? Back together here in Miami, they defended their title against Sitsabas and Kulhoff in the final it's so great to see Look, they're always going to be back together there's no chance mike was ever going to say well jack and i have been getting on famously bob and i'm afraid there's no way back they're always going to get back together but how nice to have them back
1: together healthy and winning. Well it's all worked out really well hasn't it because Jack Sock was the ultimate super sub. He came in and just did brilliantly of of course with Mike last year but he knows his place, he knows he's a he's a sub and that Bob was was coming back and the fact that Bob has come back and is able to play at a high level that was a big tick but then to be able to produce just some fantastic tennis win titles and and uh, be looking as good as they are um is just it's just awesome to see i'm just absolutely thrilled for them and they're, and they're still going talk about age <laughs> <laughs> they really are um just doing uh, incredible things and now that the hip has been sorted and maybe maybe that's it now for a few years they'll be they'll be they'll keep going and just to let
0: you know that we are going to be hearing from Wesley Koolhoff a little bit later, as I mentioned, playing the rest of the Masters this year with Stefano Sitzbaus. Well, um, rounding up and off Miami, what else, who else stood out? Was there a a storyline or a match aside from what we've just talked about that you will remember fondly from the from the new Miami? We haven't even talked about the fact that we're at the end of the first Miami at the Hard Rock Stadium.
1: Yeah, I think, look, there are a couple of things. We've gone through a lot of the big stories, uh, to be fair. I think it's a, it's been really nice to see David Goffin winning back-to-back matches in, in tournaments. That's really good news for him. And also, I think, watch out for Borna He finished just outside the, the, the uh, ATP finals in, in London. He was there as an alternate last year. He's got his eyes firmly set on that top eight, and he is a very consistent performer. You can't count him out. So uh, nice to see him doing really well as well. Uh, and, of course... Nick Kyrgios, we haven't talked much about him, but uh, we've had lots of interesting points and shots from him, the underarm serve and some tweeners, some uh, outrageous shots, but also, just a lot of quality tennis from him in his matches. Just sensible and uh, well-structured, well-thought-out tennis. And if Nick Kyrgios is being sensible on the court, then uh, with a little bit of flashiness thrown in, then uh, I'm sure that he'll build on his uh, Acapulco win. Another story that was gathering momentum was David Ferrer. In his, oh. in his final
0: Miami, he gets the scalp of Sasha Zverev, and he was beaming towards the end of the match as if to say, are these shots me? Am I doing this? And his box was beaming. Everyone was just beaming we were thinking we were seeing classic David Ferrer and then Francis Diafo just came along and said look I this is great but no this is me going through here so the David Ferrer Miami career has come to an end, but what a way for it to come to an
1: end here in Miami. Oh, and he just loved every second of it. Does anybody love tennis more than David Ferrer? I just <laughs> don't think it's possible. The challenge and something we were saying during his matches, he's almost disappointed when the opponents don't play their best tennis. If he rolls through a match 6-3, six, 6-2, six, he, he kind of apologises to the fans. Says, Sorry, guys, I didn't, <laughs> didn't get my battle face on and my my armour on for you, but uh, you know I will next time. He just just loves and embraces a challenge and I've never seen anyone like that before. That he almost just smiles when his opponents just start playing great. He's Oh finally, come on, let's go then. It's it's just a joy to watch him play, it always has been for me I think that he's the sort of player that we will really, I already appreciate what he's done and I know a lot of people do but uh, I think there are plenty of people that when they look back on his career what he achieved in the era that he achieved it to stay at number three for as long as he did, 11 Grand Slam quarterfinals or better in a row, that is over two and a half years, all different surfaces including a final and a couple of semi-finals in there as well it was absolutely extraordinary and right in the middle of the Fed, Nadal, Djokovic, just battle that was going on. Uh, I think when people reflect on what, quite what he's achieved, they will, they will realize that uh, he was phenomenal.
0: Before we leave Miami, for good, we thought you'd enjoy hearing some of the the best bits, some of the best interviews that Seb Lozier, our man with his feet on the ground, did around the Hard Rock Stadium with the great and good and those involved, those behind the scenes, the players up front. And we think the perfect person to start our look back with is Roger Federer's long-term coach Severin Luthi.
2: Yeah, no, he's, he's playing very well. I'm, I'm very happy. You know, um, at the, it was a tough beginning. You know, for the tough first round. Now he's, uh, it seems like he's playing uh, not better and better every match. But um, he already played uh, like the third round. Everything he played well. But uh, no, he's playing great tennis so far. And moving so well. Can he move much better than that? um yeah it's it's tough uh, to, to say you know, but um I think he feels uh, he feels the the game very well at the moment, you know uh, he knows exactly what he's doing and he feels good, so um, I think that's when he's uh, moving the best also i'm playing these young Guys, Dennis, and um, before that, you know,
3: Daniel and also Stefanos recently. Does he relish playing these youngsters who are
2: looking to take his throne? I, th- I think it's, uh, it's more inspiring for him than uh, scary. You know, uh, he likes to see uh, new players, other players, uh, trying to figure out how to play against them, what they're doing well, uh, what they're doing not so good yet. And um, uh, so, yeah, no, he has a, gr- a great mental setup to, to play those guys
3: taking the ball so early is that a conscious tactic especially out there on this surface
2: yeah I mean um, that's uh, that was always uh, something in his uh, in his game you know a big strength of his game and um I think, uh, yeah, it's tough to find somebody who really likes it, an opponent who really likes it if you take the ball early and he's doing it so well with his fast hands and everything. So, I mean, it's always a good sign when he can finish the point close to the baseline or or even at the net. And just finally, uh, Severin, I'm sure as
3: his coach, you've got more than half an eye on the clay. He's he's going to be transitioning to clay for the first time in a long time, let's face it. I know he's played a lot of tennis on clay, but how, how much are you going to do to transition him for Madrid?
2: Uh, yeah, so it's it's not the, our first thought now. It's uh, to finish well here, and um, and then for sure also going to be off uh, a few days again. Uh, I think it's important, you know, not only if you're 37, but um, for sure also uh, then and um, then. No, he's he's gonna he's gonna play enough on clay. You know, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of uh, physical training also at the beginning with with Pierre, and um, he's going to have enough time to to adapt uh, on the clay. And for you, you look like you're enjoying it out there. It's amazing. You know, at the end, you're still a bit nervous, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less. But, uh, no, it's amazing uh, to watch him play. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just great.
3: I'm with Rob Steckley, coach of Denis Shapovalov. Uh, and, Rob, I know you spoke with Jill in Indian Wells, but it's been such a good fortnight here in Miami. We're, we're, we're thrilled to talk to you again. Um, yeah,
4: thanks for having me. What
3: pleased you most about the way he's come through, not just today, but against Stefanos Tsitsipas as well, in his game?
4: just the will and the guts to stay disciplined even though the emotions are riding high you know i think that's something that we've really tried to tackle and we've been talking about this for the last six months is is being in control step by step and focusing on the little tangible things that allow him to play his big game because we both know you know he's such a, a fiery type of player um But with great ups come great downs. So we're trying to level those out. And uh, I mean, I've been saying this for a long time. We don't know when the results are gonna come, okay? But we have to trust the process and we have to be able to be in control. And I would be very surprised if he were to go through a draw without any type of drama. It's how he goes about taking care of that and whether he wants to be on the winning end of that or the losing end. And that's where I think the growth in his game is starting to take shape. You use the word discipline. In what sense? Where is he showing discipline out there on court? Well, he's in control of his match. It's not the box, you know, and I think a lot of the time he's, he's you know, tr- focused on the wrong things at the wrong times, which is very, I mean, easy for any player uh, when you get caught up in the emotional side of things. And he's, like I said, such a, you know, a hot type of player, streaky uh, and so, hey, Bethany! Oh, there's one of my, all favorite, kinds of human. People. One of my favorite human beings. <laughs> you get um, all kinds of people come yeah. up to you in moments now, like now this. Now I lost my train of thought, B. Oh, God. But, um, yeah, you know, it just I think just being disciplined on, on taking care of his own, you know, and, and just understanding... Um, when he needs to stay in the rally, when he needs to pull the trigger, when he needs to focus on his footwork a little bit more, and just all these little things. Um, and, And it just makes everything that much more spicy when everybody wants to win. And that's what I'm trying to help him with. And I think that's what he's doing a great job in, is just settling himself down just enough to be able to focus on what he needs to do.
3: And you spoke with Jill in Indian Wells about the serve and and the improvements you've been making. He's serving 70% first serves. That's been huge, isn't it?
4: Yeah. Well, You know what? I think also laying out um, the proper game plans at the right times, I think that's what we've been really working uh, hard on and and we've been disciplined at trying to, to... iron out those types of kinks whereas before you know he was relying on a lot of flashiness and now he can use the flashiness but just at the right times and when he doesn't need to he just shaves it down you know to 70 percent of his game and and just placement and knowing what ball comes after that I think has settled himself a lot more which allows him now especially you're seeing the results on the serve is like you don't need 140 miles an hour all the time. You know, you might want to change that up a little bit, place it, shorten it, slow cookers out wide, do the job, you know what's coming next. So those types of things are really helping him.
3: And physically, he's he's gone from a wiry 18-year-old last season to a, a beefy yeah.
4: 19-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do quite a lot of work on that in the off-season? You know what, I, I don't take any credit for that. Clement is our physical trainer. We have Stefano, who's also working as our physio and takes charge, you know, a lot with... Uh, with prevention and and all of that stuff which allow him to get stronger in the gym but uh we have a great team and uh yeah that's something i just work out myself for my own you know and i just watch him work out but i I also agree he he's developed in the last year um and it's given him the ability to be able to stay in the rallies and be a lot stronger and, and and start to understand what his body can really do and just finally, um,
3: semi-finals of a Masters 1000. He's been there before, of course, which must help as well. But he's been looking
4: forward to playing Roger for a long time, hasn't he? You, oh, you nailed it. Uh, that, that's truthfully why there was so much extra pressure last week at Indian Wells, because he was setting himself up for a quarterfinal clash against Roger. It's his idol. <laughs> and he would love to prove himself and and to you know gauge where he's at with him um we've practiced with him so we know i mean he's a great guy and we know what he can do but um yeah that just that little extra want was there the last couple matches and 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 we learned from last week you know We, we just tried to stay a little more composed um tactically and i think that that's what kind of paid off in the long run because he was a lot more in control of himself. And I, I, I'm very proud of the kid. Bethany, come back here. We need you in this talk. Come on, girl. Roger and Dennis. Hey, Dude, girl. Dude, Roger. What's up? I was cheering for Dennis. It was a great match. I know. I like Dennis. So do I. He's awesome. How awesome is this? No, <laughs> Dennis ask, is awesome. ask Bethany a question.
3: Well, yeah. what do we yeah. all think of a Roger Federer, Dennis Shapovalov semifinal?
5: Listen, Ro- I mean, Roger's Roger.
1: I'm not going to lie. When Roger... Pat the walks in the hallways, even the players, coaches, we all you know, turn into middle all, school girls. Absolutely, I agree. And we're all giggling like Roger looked at me and <laughs> <know>. said hi. <laughs> so Roger Truth be is
4: told, Roger. I don't shower after he touches my hand. <laughs> I, I, I wait at least a <laughs> week. I mean,
0: I'm not going to lie. I've given him a hug, and I remember that hug to this day.
4: Yeah, I know that's a good thing. As
3: sometimes isn't it?
0: that's sometimes what I think about, and it just well, makes me. Well, if he hugged happy. you, <laughs> you hugged me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, guys, indirect.
3: our thanks to Rob Steckley and latterly there, Bethany matek sands former gold medalist at the Olympics, of course. Thank you both.
4: Thank you. Thanks very much.
3: Well, I'm here outside the locker room with coach of Félix Augéliacine, Frédéric Fontaine. Frédéric, we we said we'd make a date if he he made the final and talk again, but he hasn't quite managed to do that. But I still thought it's been such a good two weeks here in Miami that it was still well worth talking with you. Overall, you must be very proud of him. Yeah,
5: exactly. It was a very good... uh good tournament for for Felix that we uh, that's what we have to remember and of course he will learn from this kind of uh, match and uh, it's another experience but congrats to John because he was able to to come back uh, twice in the, um, the the set like uh, with a break down so congrats to him i guess the thing that you must and Felix will walk away thinking is wow we've served for the set both sets yeah of course uh, but it's uh, like i said uh John put a lot of pressure on the returns. You know, he played well uh, you know, at the, the, those two moments, except maybe uh, on the, the first one in the first set, it was more like uh, some few mistakes from Felix. But in the second uh, set, they had a couple of good rallies, and, uh, and um, co- yeah, John played really well those rallies. So it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's important. He will learn about that. I'm sure he will. Coming
3: into the match, I think most people expected Felix to be able to dominate the points if if
5: they went long, if the rallies went long, but actually John played very well. Yeah, there's just like a few rallies and uh, yeah, we were like surprised uh, the quality of John to be able to maintain, you know, to to stay in the points and uh, the credits to him.
3: What do you take most out of this Miami
5: experience? No, it's clear that uh, Felix is able to play this level. You know, in Indian Wells also he played well. You know, this week uh, again in clay on clay court in Rio also. So he's able to play uh, a very uh, solid level in all the surfaces. That's uh, that's very really important because if you want to go to the top, he has to play yeah all the um, in all the
3: surfaces. And seven matches in quick succession here in Miami. I guess you now think about the clay. Um, is it? Rest first and, and then back in the in the gym and transitioning. How are you going to do it
5: ahead of Monte Carlo? Yeah, exactly. We'll have some, some rest, of course, because he, did, he played a lot of matches. But uh, now the season is uh, rolling, you know, uh, so he, of course he's going to rest to practice and then we are going to come back uh, for the clay. You excited to see him on clay? I think we all are. Yeah, of course,
3: yeah. <laughs> I'm with a smiling... David Goffin, uh, back where you belong in the round of 16 at these Masters tournaments. What does that mean to you?
6: Yeah, it means a lot, and especially here with um, a tough, uh, tough period for me, where uh, I changed coach and then I had injuries and then I tried to come back to my best level. And then it takes, uh, it takes, it takes a few moments, uh, a few tournaments to to get back to my best level. But it's to win some important points, to save some break points, to and to really to to play my my best tennis when I need it and um yeah I think that was the case Cause you've been so unlucky
3: you know with with the,
6: the you know the eye and the, and the ankle and
3: first and foremost physically how do you feel are you are you back 100%
6: yeah, yeah, I'm back. Uh, I'm 100% now. Uh, yeah, of course, last year was my eye. The year before it was my ankle at the French Open, and then this year I had a fracture at the end of last year to my to my elbow. So my elbow this, this year was the the most important, and now I can serve 100%, and that's uh, that's good. You played the challenger um, just after Indian
3: Wells. That that just a case of putting as much sets in as possible.
6: Yeah, the period between uh, Indianers and Miami can be really long when you don't play match and you lose uh, second round like I did. And uh, it's tough because during the, the practice now I'm playing really well and the goal is to, to play some matches to, uh, to try to, uh, to, to feel the ball a little bit better during the match. And to just to have some matches uh, in my legs, that's, that's what I need now. And um, and we we worked a lot also, so we had to, uh, to practice and then the match every day. So it was tough uh, tough week, but we knew it was uh, it was good for me and it was important to to do it before this tournament.
3: You mentioned practice. A different pair of eyes looking at you in practice now. Thomas Johansson back alongside you. What what's Thomas bringing?
6: Yeah, it was um, it's um, uh, we we we'll worked together a few uh, two or three years ago, uh, but as. Uh, more as a consultant and i knew that uh, thomas would uh, bring me a lot and now uh, yeah when i stopped with my former coach i i i spoke to thomas and to uh, to see how he see me in the future so where we can uh, he can uh, what he can brings me to uh to go back to the top and then uh, and i liked what we we talked about and then so but it can take uh, um, a moment to um, to have the good balance between what we're working on and uh, for the uh, the aggressivity, the volleys, the serve, and then uh, as soon as everybody everything, sorry, will be uh, will be ready. I think it will be uh, hopefully the the best uh, moment of my career. The danger is to be impatient, I guess. Um, are, you, are you looking long term? Yes, I, I think so, and. Uh, it was I think now I'm I'm 28 it was I'm invest for the next uh, the next five years I think it could be the the best years of my career in front of me so uh, I think it was the best moment to uh, to make a new project with uh, especially with with Thomas so we we talked about a lot of uh, yeah almost everything uh, in my game so it was a lot of uh, talks, we talked about um, yeah, also with uh, my whole team and then now it's uh, hopefully it will be a better match after match and uh, that, that was the case today so we, we have to, to continue to work like this.
3: Having a different pair of eyes on your game, yep. is, it, is it healthy in a way just because you, you're forced to be open and honest and talk about what might have been going wrong in the past, how, how much does that help just to, to reboot, just to start again?
6: Yeah, yeah. First, uh, I was uh, ready and open to to change different things and to change, uh, yeah, tactically or maybe technically. And uh, with, with, with Thomas, so that's that's really important. If you a player is not open, it's uh, with every coach. It's uh, it's not easy. But with Thomas, I was uh, was ready, and uh, and it's it's nice to have a new. Uh, yeah, it's always. You know, something fresh mentally when you're in a good coach, you believe. Uh, he knows tennis really well. He knows what it is to, uh, to win a Grand Slam, to be in top ten, to have a lot of wins. So it's, uh, it's good for the moment and I hope it will continue. I am with Jamin Crabb, coach of
3: Jordan Thompson, who has had a great week uh, so far. And uh, long may it continue, Jamin.
7: Yeah, no, it's been a, a good breakout tournament for Tomo and really good today to, to back up the big win over Kachanov with another good scalp of uh, Dimitrov. So, yeah, he's confident and playing well and, yeah, he's got to keep the momentum. I spoke
3: to him straight after the match and he, he spoke about, unprompted, about all the challenges that he played and that seems to have been quite important in kind of rebooting him. Is that fair?
7: Yeah, look, I think last year it was pretty well publicised. He only had one tour win and uh, made a lot of his points in challenges. And look, we made the decision after US Open to get his... He dropped to probably 110 or 115, and we wanted to make sure he was top 100 coming into the Australian summer. Um, so, yeah, he chose to, to play you know, four or five challenges, and you know he finished off winning the last two challenges and, and a final in his third last one. So he got his ranking down to sort of under 80 and uh, set him up confidence-wise for a, a good summer, and he's continued that on. Because when you've beaten...
3: I don't know, Andy Murray at Queen's, which he had done a couple of years ago, let's face it. it must, that must be quite a tough decision to, to go down to the challenges.
7: Um, no, Tomo's really good with, you know, working out the schedule and making sure he is main draw for Grand Slams. So he's always uh, looks ahead and, and works out how many points he needs. And then, yeah, he's good at mixing in challenges and tour events. And, you know, even now he's entered in a few challenges in China. I mean, Ning, which is 125K, uh, the entry deadline's already closed, so we'll, we'll probably will go with that and try and you know keep building and keep the momentum, working into the French and grass season.
3: Because he won three titles on challenges last year, didn't he? So, what does that do for you? Does it? Obviously, it puts a lot of volume in, in your legs. Um, also, confidence.
7: Yeah, definitely confidence. Um, I think in this sport, it's very mental, and if you're winning, uh, you just sort of know how to win. And when you go through some tough patches. And a lot of these guys, when you're ranked sort of 50 to 90, you might be playing two events and you're playing guys ranked above you every week. So it's very easy to go for you know, a month, six weeks where you sort of win three, lose three, or win two, lose four, and you haven't been playing bad or anything. So no, we, we always look to, to drop back when we have to and yeah, just keep the uh, win percentage up.
3: And you've been with Jordan since last year after Wimbledon. Um, what's he like to work with?
7: Uh, Jordan's great to work with. He's uh, very professional. He does all the right things for his body. Um, you know, if he needs extra serves and returns, he's always willing to do them. Uh, he's got a lot of variety in his game. So, you know, just scouting opponents and putting game plans together, he can execute that, which he has done the last two matches really, really well.
3: Absolutely. When you first came on board as his as his coach, where did you think you could improve him the most in terms of his game?
7: Uh, definitely his offense uh, using his serve he's got good variety on his serve getting to net um, he's been doing very very well mixing in his serve volley and uh just flattening out his forehand being more aggressive with his forehand he was he can get a little passive in his matches and probably at the challenger level he's got unbelievable speed and he can make enough balls to win those matches but at the tour level he needed to be more offensive and he's added that to his game and he's getting the results
3: so it sounds like he you put a lot of work in in the off season um, between that challenger in Canberra and playing Brisbane about two months what, what, what would you have done?
7: Uh, well he had his fitness coach Tonu um, he, he came over to Tampa actually and trained with Tonu uh, Jordan's dad's also a tennis coach who did all his junior stuff with him Steve so he's always got his eye on him as well uh, but he really did a, a massive uh, fitness block I mean, he had the tennis matches under his belt did a lot of fitness and uh which is something he missed the year before when he, he had a uh, he was a bit sick with his tonsils or he had to have uh, a little bit of a break um so he got that massive fitness block and he's worked really really hard and he's he managed to maintain that even through his matches
3: when you say fitness just for the benefit of listeners who perhaps don't know
7: what that means for a tennis player like jordan what, what's he doing um we well, he starts getting the miles in his legs, which he started to do pretty much after US Open. Even leading into the challenge, he started to do some longer runs. Uh, and then he does, you'd have to ask Tonu, but he, uh, you know, a lot of explosive weights in the gym, a lot of repeat 20-metre sprints. Um, yeah, that's not my area, so... <laughs> and you mentioned his
3: tonsils. It's, it's funny, I've, I've heard...
7: Noise. I'm not sure what it was. I've, like,
3: well, I've heard similar sorts of things from a number of coaches. I mean, the, the nature of the tour... Is brutal, isn't it? I mean, the, the amount of travel. How, how much health wise do you have to look after these guys? You know, how, how careful do they have to be in terms of not just their physical fitness, but also their health?
7: Yeah, and especially you know, playing the Challenger Tour. Tom, I went to Asia and China, and, uh, you know, being on planes every couple of weeks, You, uh, it's very easy to pick something up. So, I mean, your health is the most important thing. Being able to get on the court. Um, so he got that taken care of and then he was able to get his fitness back. But yeah, that's something you've got to be really, really careful of, depending on especially which city you're in. And given all of
3: that work that he'd done in the off-season, making the quarterfinals in Sydney, just looking at his results on paper, that must have been a big deal.
7: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, uh, he lost to Alex. Dimon there. Uh, he lost during the week before as well in um, Brisbane. So... And he played a good match against Dimon. He had set points in the first set and and I think for Tomo, seeing those guys who he trains with a lot, like Diminar, Ebden, Milman, make the breakthrough to top 50 and beyond, sort of gives him the confidence as well that he can do it. Um, yeah, and he's starting to, to make that break. But, but, yeah, getting those early wins in tour events, get the monkey, the, you know, the tour win monkey off the back, definitely helped him, and he's, he's a lot looser in his matches now. And,
3: and how... How can he go? Do you think, as, as his coach, what what are we dealing with here?
7: I mean, look, our first goal will be top fifty. Um, you know, he'll work towards that, and then once you get there, you want to be top thirty-two, so you're getting seeded in the in the slams. So.
3: And just finally, what next? You, you mentioned he's entered for some challenges. Um, where will he go to from Miami?
7: From Miami, he has a, a week off uh, in in Tampa, and then he'll go to Houston for a week, and then to China for two challenges is the plan. And then you have a couple of weeks off before Leon and uh, Roland Garros.
3: I am down in the players' warm-up area with Jay Berger, coach of Riley Opelka. And first of all, Jay, th- thanks very much for talking to us on ATP Tennis Radio because I know it's, it's easier to talk when your player's won than, than when he's lost. But uh, I wanted to talk to you anyway because it has been a wonderful you know, time, a wonderful couple of weeks for Riley. And um, what have you made of it?
8: yeah i mean he you know we've been working together for a year he has a great team behind him uh including johnny zaboni who travels with him and uh gary kitchell is physio um and yeah i mean he's improved he started a year over a little over a year ago at 240 he's about 56 in the world um that's not our goal that's not his goal so we just keep trying to get better i'm not i'm pretty detached from the results and uh and really, just focusing on what it takes for him to get better.
3: Well, I was going to come on to the ranking, but it's it's such a huge rise in s- such a short space of time. The obvious question is, what's new? What have you been doing to change that?
8: You know, I, I think. Look, it's it's not the coach. He's a, he's a great player. I mean, look at, look at the material that we're working with. You know, you got a guy that's about six eleven and a half. He's uh, got one of the best serves in the game, and um, you know, we started. Started our, our collaboration a little over a year ago, sitting down, watching matches, and and really getting a, a clarity on on the kind of style of tennis that he's going to play, and um, and then we just go to go to work every day and uh, and try to get better on that style.
3: You talk about his style. I mean, for for such a massive guy, he actually moves surprisingly well. So, did he almost have too many options before?
8: No, I, I think it was just more clarity on on the type of tennis he wanted to play. I mean, he does move extremely well. Um, but, you know, so he can stay in points. He likes staying in points. But the bottom line is that he's got to play pretty big tennis. You know, we've made some adjustments to his serve that have really helped over the last year. And, you know, he's going through tournaments serving in the high 60s, low 70s, which is obviously when you're serving 135, 134, it's it's pretty helpful. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's been a lot of fun to work with. I mean, he's, he's probably... You know, he's extremely coachable. He wants to get better. He's a, he's a really nice kid. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, this is just the beginning for him. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, we're looking to kind of two years down the road to, to really see where, he's, where he is. And when he watched those tapes back with you, almost with a fresh
3: pair of eyes, I guess, what did he say about how he'd been playing? What, what, did, he,
8: did, he, did he make any specific, um, I guess, observations about his game? I think he saw some good things, and, and then he saw saw some things he needed to change. You know, so we changed, we worked a lot on his footwork, and um, you know, and again for him, it's really having clarity in in the way he wants to play, and and uh, and being really mentally strong out there as well.
3: Being such a big guy, and being part of this new, you know, batch of young American players coming through, was there almost an expectation on his? broad shoulders that he had to was he struggling with expectation before
8: you know I don't think so I, I think there's always been a, a, a long term project for him um, you know he, he, he's not looking for instant gratification he just wants to see himself progressing and he wants to feel like he's getting better and um, you know I think that's what myself and, and our whole team has been working on and trying to give him the tools but uh, you know again he you know he, he's a He's a he's a great project to work with when you have somebody with the weapons that he has and and uh, and the way he works and and you know he, he's gonna get better. That New York title must have felt
3: like a breakthrough for, for him but also for, for you all.
8: Yeah, that was you know that that was we know he can play well, but but I think uh you know how, how good he was mentally in that in that tournament, how committed he was to playing the right way and and some of the shots he came up with at big moments. Now match point to John Isner, John Isner serving. Uh, you don't win too many of those matches, and you got to return back and then lace the back end down the line. And, uh, you know, it, it's really commitment to, to playing his style of tennis and uh, and just seeing where that gets him. And
3: coming into to his last match here in Miami, he, he was quite self-deprecating going in not only to his match against Diego Schwarzman but also against Daniel Medvedev, you know, talking the other guys up. Um, does he do that? Is that just the way Riley is? Or do you need to work on his own kind of self self-worth almost
8: no i I think you know those guys are really good and i think riley's realizing he's also really good i mean when you play diego schwartzman he's right the guy's you know the guy's tough and you play medvedev i mean he's a great server great mover so uh, i think he believes in himself and um you know i don't mind him giving those guys credit because they're good you know but i think he's also realizing that that he he can stay with all these guys
3: and you've been in american tennis for a long time you've been around the game for a long time what do you make of
8: this new home in Miami? I love it. You know, I used to live in Kiva's Gain, um, so I, I have a little bit of a pain in my heart not being there, but, um, but they've done, you know, James in the tournament, and uh, they've done an unbelievable job. I mean, the players love it. Uh, it it's, it's, a, it's a huge upgrade. And
3: just finally, Jay, where next for Riley? Um, where can we see him next? He'll play in Houston
8: and then a then a week and a half off, and then he's gonna um, you know he's gonna play a full clay court season. He loves clay courts, and uh, you know just keep trying to get better every day.
3: Well, I'm down here uh, just outside the player gym with Mark Hilton, coach of Kyle Edmund. Uh, first of all, Mark, thanks for talking to us on ATP Tennis Radio. No problem at all. Best ever Miami for Kyle. Uh, I think this is turning into. But uh, first of all, let's let's get back to basics in a way. H- how is Kyle physically?
9: Yeah, he's in a good spot at the moment. I mean, he did a great training block after, after Australia where he'd been uh, suffering with a problem with his knee for some time. It kind of compromised pre-season in December, so we used the time off to Australia to take some time out and get him physically fit um, and get him into a position where he could play consistently week in, week out, which he's in a position where he's doing that now.
3: And he derives a lot of confidence from that, I presume?
9: Yeah, he does. I mean, he, he, a lot of confidence comes with him when he feels good with his body and it's noticeable when he's on the court, the way he moves, um, especially out the corners, looking good and, and being able to repeat that day in, day out has been a real bonus and a real um, indication of the work that he's been doing over the past few weeks.
3: Because he's been through a fair bit with his health over the past year or so, hasn't he? Just for the benefit of those who, who don't perhaps know, can you just give us kind of a potted version of what he's been through?
9: Well, yeah, the last 12 months has been um, a bit inconsistent with his health, really. He's had some really good success, obviously, on the court. But he got injured after Australia Open last year in 2018. And then he had some more um, trouble after Wimbledon, which um, really put a, a setback into the US swing. Um, and then he finished the year with, again, with a, this problem with his knee. He also had his tonsils out at the end of the year. So it, it was... It was an inconsistent year with some great success on the court, obviously. And one of the goals this year was to really get him to a position where he can uh, compete consistently throughout the year. And you've been
3: with him for a while, you you know him perhaps better than anyone. How do you help him deal with that frustration? And just you know, because it must be frustrating.
9: Well, obviously, it's frustrating frustrating for him mostly, it's frustrating for the team around him because we know what he's capable of and we know. Um, what he's like when he is fully fit Um, so it's been a lot of careful planning careful scheduling you know for instance just recently adding the challenger in before Indian Wells to get some much-needed match time Um, and it's proven to be a sound decision because he's he's gathered some momentum and really helped his belief because one of the illnesses of course came off the
3: back of his long-awaited first tour win in Antwerp which must have been so frustrating
9: well, it was. Um, you know, it was, it's unfortunate it came at the end of the year because I said it compromised pre-season and ultimately Australia. Um, he wasn't quite ready away where he wanted to be, hence why we took the time after Australia. But uh, he finished the year well. You know, he played well in Asia and then that was a bit of a prelude to what he did in, in Antwerp. And um, it was great for him to finally get that title under his belt and you could see what it meant to him when he won that. And you're now his sole coach. Yeah, you were working with
3: Freddie Rosengren. Um, We spoke with Freddie a couple of times on the radio. He's a great character. Um, How did Kyle, and yourself also, how did you benefit from working with Freddie?
9: Well, he's had some fantastic experience, you know, many years on the tour, um, and such a good character to have around. Uh, So much energy, um, so much passion, and um, a real clear picture on what he felt needed to be done to get to the next level for Kyle, and it was great to learn from him. Um, One of the benefits for me is... uh, um, a younger coach was to spend time with someone who had that much experience so I'll take a lot from what he what he did and I'm sure Kyle will as well you know even not just immediately but further down the line there'll be things that Freddie implemented which he will use for the rest of his career.
3: Because Kyle's game it was evolving probably anyway but from being just a, a big forehand which I think was everyone's you know stereotype of Kyle um, he, he's he's much more than that and and that's not happened by accident has it?
9: No, he's made some, some really big improvements in his game with his serve and um, his ability to move forwards. Um, there is, there's a number of things he's doing much better now and he's always had huge weapons in, with that forehand and it's always going to probably be one of the main reasons why he is um, close to the top of the game. Um, and we mustn't forget that he does that so well and keep developing that weapon, but he's, he has definitely developed other areas of his game which are, are proving to be a real big strength.
3: And how much does he enjoy getting out there? I mean, we saw after the Raonic win, which was a big win, straight back out on the on the training uh, court. It, it, that work ethic—that's something that comes easy to Kyle.
9: Well, no, I mean, there's, there's, the years are—it's it's always a long year, so there's ups and downs throughout the year, and and that's where scheduling is really important. Making things, making sure things are fresh with him, making sure that he's he's energized to play. He wants to get out on the court, and he's in that position now where he's really. Um, eager to compete you know, especially at the time he's had out and it's just a, a continuation of that through the year so that as I said he can finish the year strong as well
3: You mentioned before that you set targets for last year and that he, he reached them really in terms of his ranking and, and other things Are you, Have you done the same for this year?
9: you know we talk about things we talk about what he'd want to achieve throughout the year not not necessarily um, massively short term there's areas in his game where we're looking to improve still and if he does that results will come you know obviously he having reached um, such a high ranking last year i think his highest ranking was maybe 14 um, that next step to be in the top ten and top, top top five players is for sure a desire for him, um, and also to to perform at these bigger events more often. You know, the, whether it's has got his first win at two hundred and fifty, so we're obviously looking at 500s, master series, and then clearly going deep in the slams.
3: Liverpool winning the title would be on his on his list, wouldn't it as well? On his list, not mine.
9: Come on, you've got to elaborate. Well, I'm a Man United fan, so it's a bit of a lesser of two evils with City and Liverpool, but. I think I'd take a a City win over a Liverpool win purely for the time I spend with Kyle, yeah. (laughs) He's actually said that he gets more nervous watching Liverpool play than playing tennis. Is that true? Well, he's he's very passionate about Liverpool and seems to be more passionate the closer they're getting, but he's had some disappointments over the years, so I'm hoping there's going to be another disappointment this year. As a Liverpool fan, I can assure you, we've had a lot of disappointments. How else do you get
3: him to relax away from the tennis court? I know he likes golf.
9: Yeah, he does like golf. Um, he likes his cars, um, his F1, um, and he obviously he loves his he loves his sport in general. Uh, as I said, it's, it's it's important that the downtime away from the court is spent where he can have some downtime because it is so intense. Most of his days, they're long days, and um, to get away from tennis sometimes is a great thing for him.
3: And how much will you get away from tennis between now and the clay and the clay court season
9: starting? Well, it really depends on how, how this week progresses, but the, the schedule is for him to play Marrakech. so um, there's a weak gap between the finals here and, and Marrakech. Um, we deliberately added that after the um, tournaments that he missed after Australia, and so we're hoping that he can really push through a good clay court season and, and get himself ready for Paris.
3: I am with Wesley Kulhoff, one half of an exciting new doubles partnership here with uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas so exciting Wes that you've made the final and you've now just signed a barrage of autographs with fans and this presumably is uh, doesn't happen every day for you
10: No no of course not <laughs> I mean uh, to be in, a, in, in like in the final here of course it's like a, it's a big thing so then uh, like the people get to know me at, like, like like from now on I guess so uh, no, it doesn't happen every week that I'm, uh, that I'm signing autographs and getting kissed on my cheek for like 10 minutes. So, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's good. I like it. It's good. Yeah. And
3: we're walking and talking. We're g- now coming back into the stadium. Um, I mean, putting this in context in your career, looking at the ATP website, mm-hmm. you stand to make as much financially this this fortnight as. J- well, a half of what you're, you've made in your entire career. I mean, this is
10: life-changing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is, of course. I mean, every time we get opportunity to play the slams and, and, uh, and, and these big tournaments, it's, uh, it could be a life-changing um, experience. Uh, these are the, the tournaments where, where the money is at and where the points are made. So, um, I mean, yeah, we made a final, so that's, I, I guess, like half of my prize money <laughs> uh, earned in the last four or five years is... Uh, I earned right here. Now tell me,
3: Stefanos, he's he's such a great guy. How did this partnership come about?
10: Uh, I knew him and the family for a while already, like back in the, in the Challenger days, actually, So last like three four years ago. Uh, we played. Um, he played singles in Rotterdam, obviously, and my home tournament. And I was there and I asked him to practice on on center court. Um, and I asked him, okay, are you, are you set for Indian Wells? Are you looking, you want to play doubles? And uh, he was like, no, I, I'm not set. I want to play doubles, so let's play. Um, and then uh, Miami actually wasn't sure yet because it was kind of based on his singles performance in uh, in Indian Wells, but... He, he lost in the second round, so he was like, "Okay, I'm, I'm fit enough to uh, to play some doubles." And uh, I mean, the result is uh, the result is here. Yeah. You've won four titles, I
3: think, to, already in your career. He, he's not won a doubles title yet. I think it's his his first doubles mm. final. How is it different for you playing with, I guess, a, a single a top ten singles guy rather than a you know a really proven doubles player?
10: A little bit different. Um Game-wise, obviously, because normally with my with another doubles partner, you kind of win it at the net. Or you, you you try to go to the net together as, as a team. Here, I'm like you you stay back. <laughs> You're fine from the baseline. I'll try to to jump in or do something uh, do something at the net. Um, I mean, it's it's still a doubles match. It's still um, um, well. He he has big shots, and and um, and normally the doubles players are a little bit more of the, the the touchy touchy things like me as well. Uh, and he can just break, like break through it with a with a with a rocket or a cannon, or um, so that's his strength. Just eyes closed and just boom. And um, yeah, but like I said, we complement each other. The vibe is good. It's actually relaxed. We're kind of the same people. We think 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 alike. You know, is this a
3: partnership that we're going to see again? You, you've already won a title, as I said before, with Marcus Daniel. I think in uh, in yeah, Brisbane. Yeah. Um, c- can we expect to see the two of you out at the, at the slams? How's it going
10: to work? Uh, maybe. No. My, my my fixed partner is still Marcus. So I'll. Carry on uh, playing with him after after this tournament. Um, kind of depends on Steph if he wants to because um, Marcus is not ranked high enough yet to uh, to get in the Masters. Me and him together. Um, I mean, it kind of depends on Steph how his body is feeling because singles of obviously priority number one. Um, These are good opportunities because these are two weeks tournaments, so he always plays singles one day, doubles the other day. If we sign up for Monte Carlo or Rome or Madrid, he will have to play single-double on on the same day, so it kind of depends on him. Um, But yeah, I'll play, if you ask me, I'll play. (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: Thank you very much to Seb and thank you very much to the guests. In terms of the schedule coming up, just in case you're new to ATP Tennis Radio or the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, onto the clay we go. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening and joining us. We're back with commentary for the Monte Carlo Masters to keep up to date with ATP goings on. It's via atptour.com. If you'd like to find ATP Tennis Radio many places, you can find it on atptour.com. Tennis TV website or app, the TuneIn Radio website or app, and also smart speakers. And at this specific Tournaments So, therefore, the next tournament will be Monte Carlo. There'll be a little button on that and you can click on that. ATP Tennis Radio never leaves you. We're always with you. That's the good news. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, commentary throughout the year. And Barcelona, that's our first 500. Those new 500 weeks for this year are smattering them throughout 2019. The first of those is Barcelona. It's going to be a fantastic clay court season. And if you'd like to leave us a review and you have the time, that would be fantastic. Do so at your usual podcast program. So thank you once again for your commentary. And until next time, take care.